I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, One of the things that I was definitely thankful for this Thanksgiving is that uh, I get to be your pastor and that I get to spend every week studying the Bible and digging into um, the scriptures and trying to figure out what stuff means. And sometimes I realize that's just such a privilege that I get to be able to do that. And you guys make it possible for me to get to be able to do that. So I really appreciate it. Um, But uh, yeah, as uh, Ashley said earlier, if you've been here for the last eight weeks, you know that we have been in a series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. And this is actually the last... Uh, the last sermon, the last parable that we're doing today. So, made it through the whole series. I hope uh, you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, sometimes these parables are like little puzzles, and sometimes they're really hard puzzles to solve. And um, but it's been really fun to try and work through them. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed working that, through them together in your small groups too. Um, now, this last parable we're looking at today is known as the parable of the talents. And uh, this was one that was a tough puzzle to solve for me, I'll be honest. I spent a lot of time this week wrestling through this one. And I'd start to go in one direction, and then I'd be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. And I'd read some more and pray some more and end up going in a slightly different direction. So um, hopefully uh, you guys uh, appreciate uh, where I ended up landing on it. And hopefully this week, if you have other ideas, you can talk about them in your small groups. Um, But yeah, this one was a a very interesting one, and and, uh, I hope that as we study it together this morning, you'll be able to see how deep and rich it is. So just to give us a little bit of context, this parable comes right after the parable of the ten virgins, which is the one that we looked at last week. This is in Matthew 25, Uh, and it's actually part of a series of parables that all have to do with the subject of Jesus' return. In the previous chapter, Matthew 24, Jesus spends a whole chapter talking about the signs of his second coming. So it's all about his future return. And then that's followed up with a series of parables that all involve people waiting for someone to arrive or to return. Um, So last week, in the parable of the ten virgins, uh, which I called the parable of the ten bridesmaids, uh, they were all waiting for the groom to arrive. And then in the parable that we're looking at today... Uh, There are these servants who are waiting for a master to return. So again, this parable has something to teach us about waiting for Jesus' return. So if you have a Bible, I do encourage you to open it and follow along in Matthew 25. I'm going to have the scriptures up here, but this is going to be a very scripture-heavy message, so this is a good week to have your Bible open in front of you if you have it. So we're going to be starting in verse 14, Matthew 25, verse 14. Uh, But let's say a quick prayer before we get into it. Lord Jesus, we do thank you again uh, for this chance to look at your word together, and we just pray that you would help us to be attentive to it, um, to listen to your voice speaking to us uh, as we go through it. Uh, We pray that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, and that uh, we wouldn't just be about taking in knowledge, but we would be about being transformed uh, by your word more into the kind of people that you want us to be. Uh, So we pray that you just give us ears to hear, Lord, and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering seed where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, well, let's talk about the big picture before we talk about the details. There's a lot in there to talk about. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a master who goes off on a journey, and as he leaves, he entrusts some of his property to his servants. Now, I can see two senses in which this is a reflection of the reality that we experience. Okay? There's a universal sense and a more particular sense. So the universal sense that I see is that all human beings, all times, all places, have been entrusted by God to care for some of this property. Uh, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it says that uh, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So notice that phrase, let them rule. You know, God doesn't say that when he creates any other of the living creatures. He only says that when he creates human beings. Uh, because human beings, more so than any other creature, uh, have been designed in, with the intention of ruling over the rest of creation. Uh, if you've been in church very long, at some point you've probably heard somebody say something about human beings made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God. And sometimes we wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, I think in this verse we can see it very clearly. God says, let us make man in our image, and then there's a description of what that means. It means to rule. God is the supreme ruler, and since we're made in his image, we too are made to rule. Um, now, that doesn't mean that God isn't ultimately in charge. God ultimately owns everything. He created everything. But just like in the parable... God entrusts some of his property to us, and he asks us to steward it. Right? We, have, we have authority to influence the creation more than any other creature. 
other than God himself. Um, and we are responsible for what we do with that. So that's the universal sense that I see in which this parable is true. But then there's a more particular sense. Remember, when Jesus said these words, he was probably talking to his disciples. And he had been talking to them about his second coming and the importance of being ready for his second coming. And so when he tells this parable about a master going away and then returning later, it's clear that he's talking about himself. He's about to go away, like the master in the story, because his earthly ministry is about to end. Uh, he's going to be crucified soon, and then he's going to rise from the dead, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. Um, and he's leaving with a promise that one day he's going to return. But in the meantime, there's work to be, to be done. In the meantime, he's entrusting something to his disciples, and it's important what they do with it. So this leads us to the question, what is it that, the, that Jesus is entrusting to the disciples? You know, what is it that these talents actually represent? And maybe if you've heard a sermon about the parable of the talents before, uh, you've probably heard something like, well, the talents are like our talents. Right? There, there are gifts and our abilities. God gives us certain things, like Steve can play the guitar and lead worship, right? And, and that would be his talent. And they would say, you got to use your talent, right? You got to multiply, you got to use your talent to grow the kingdom. And that's what it's all about. And I don't think that there's anything seriously wrong with that interpretation. I think what that interpretation is saying is something that is, is fundamentally true. God gives us gifts and he wants us to use them to multiply the kingdom. Yes, that's true. But when Jesus was, was saying this parable, I don't think that's exactly what he had in mind. Um, because I think what Jesus is talking about here, if we want to get specific, is the knowledge of the kingdom. The knowledge of the kingdom. Jesus has just spent three years with these men. Uh, he's taught them a lot. And specifically, he's taught them a lot about the kingdom of heaven. And in a few chapters from now, he's going to tell them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So basically, he's going to tell them, what I've already told you, what I have entrusted to you, now go and tell others. Take what I've given to you and multiply it. And so I really think that the talents uh, represent the message of the kingdom the teachings of Jesus. And again, I don't think we're saying anything harmful when we interpret this parable in the more universal sense um, as having to do with how we steward our lives and our gifts and abilities. But I think that what Jesus really had in mind here was stewarding his teaching, the message of the kingdom. And if you're not convinced of that based on what I've said so far, uh, there's one reason I really think that this is true, and uh, bear, bear with me as we get into this, because this has to do with interpreting another verse in the parable that's kind of confusing, but this is verse 29. There's this confusing phrase that says, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering, what in the world is that talking about, Right? Well, in order to help us figure that out, uh, we need to recognize that this actually isn't the first time that Jesus has said this phrase. He says this exact same thing earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 13. And if we look at it there, it can help us to understand what it means. So, 
In Matthew 13, starting in verse 10, uh, it says, The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? It's a good question, right? Why do you speak in these cryptic uh, stories? Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And then again, here's the phrase. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. So when Jesus uses this saying the first time, he's using it in reference to what? The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's what he's talking about. That's what this phrase is all about. And we'll get into what it means in a second. But this phrase has to do with the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So wouldn't it make sense that when he uses it the second time in Matthew's gospel, he'd also be talking about the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Except in the second time, the talents represent the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So that's a little biblical exegesis for you guys. Um, I thought that was, I was really excited when I found that, because I was like, oh, yes, yes, this is what the talents mean. <laughs> so I'm sure we're all wondering, what is it that this phrase means? this confusing phrase. Um, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? It's like, whoever has a lot, they'll get more. And whoever has barely anything, well, even that, they'll, they'll lose. Ooh, seems nasty. Well, the good news is, I don't think it's as mean as it sounds at all. Uh, but we, I think we need to understand this phrase in light of a, a passage in Matthew 7, which says, ask and it will be given to you, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And so what Jesus is saying there is that those who want to know God, those who are seeking the truth, they'll find it. Right? Now, if that's true, if those who are seeking the truth will end up finding God, will end up finding the truth, it stands to reason that probably those who aren't really interested in seeking, they probably won't find the truth. And so I think what Jesus is expressing there in that, that weird phrase is basically that same idea. He's saying, if you're seeking the kingdom of God, if you're looking for the truth, then you'll get more and more knowledge about the kingdom. It'll be like this, you know, law of increasing returns, where the more you seek, the more you find, the more you discover. Uh, but if you're not really seeking, if you're not really interested, if you don't really care, then even the little bit that you've had revealed to you, eventually you're going to lose touch with. You're, just, you're not going to be keyed into the reality of the kingdom. You're not going to understand it. If you are seeking, you'll find more. If you're not, you're going to lose what you have. And this is why Jesus says that he speaks in parables, right? Because teaching in parables is a way of ensuring that those who are really seeking will find. Um, and those who do not seek probably won't find. They probably won't have any idea what Jesus is talking about. Because the meaning of these parables isn't always obvious. You, you kind of need to be seeking truth to find it. You need to have some measure of spiritual discernment within you in order to grasp what Jesus is actually saying in these parables. But anyway... Uh, I say all this because I want us to recognize that when Jesus gives the parable of the talents, he's talking mainly about what the disciples should do with his teaching. 
with this knowledge of the kingdom of heaven that has been given. But Jesus' words really aren't just for the 12 disciples, right? They're also for us. They're for any of us who have been entrusted with his teaching and are still waiting for his return. So I'd say we all fall under that category. You know, when I first looked at this parable, I thought to myself, I don't know if this is really a great one to end our series with. I don't know. I, I wanted something that maybe was ended a little bit more upbeat, a little more positive. Um, but after a while, I realized, actually, this is a really good one to, to conclude with because it's all about what we're supposed to do with the knowledge that we've been given. right? And, and since we've just spent the last eight weeks learning about the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, then it's really fitting to end our series with a parable that basically is asking, what are you going to do with the knowledge that you've been given? It's pretty appropriate. You've been entrusted with these truths, so now what are you going to do? So knowing that that's what this parable is all about, now we're ready to actually learn something from it. (laughs) So... This is where we're going to get into what I think is the most fun stuff. So, Jesus says, going back to the text, to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. So I think what we see here is that people have varying degrees of knowledge of the kingdom. Uh, Now, when I say that, On one hand, I'm talking about the reality that some of us are born into circumstances where, you know, we have lots of exposure to knowledge of the kingdom. We hear about Jesus from the time we're little kids. Maybe we've grown up in in the church. We live in in a place where there's like practically as many Bibles as there are people, right? But there are some places where people are born into totally different circumstances, where it's not even legal to have a Bible, where they never even hear the name of Jesus. So that's that's one way of looking how people have have different um, degrees of of exposure to the kingdom. But I don't think the talents represent just uh, exposure in in terms of intellectual awareness. Because when the Bible talks about knowledge, it's never just about what you know. Uh, The Pharisees are a great example of this, right? The Pharisees knew the ins and outs of the law. They had a ton of knowledge, but they completely missed the point. Because to have knowledge of something, it's not just to be intellectually aware of it, but it's to experience it. Uh, For example, you can be aware of a lot of information about another person in this day and age of the internet and social media. right? You can uh, be aware of where a person lives, what their interests are, what they look like. But if you've never actually spent time with them, if you've never really spoken to them, you don't know them. You just know about them. And the same is true with the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Right? Uh, You can't just know about the kingdom through awareness of Jesus in his parables and knowing a bunch of facts about the parables. That's part of it. But real knowledge of the kingdom involves experiencing the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying through the parable of the talents is that people are given varying degrees of experience of the kingdom of heaven. And it's given to them, what? Each according to their ability. So in other words, whatever people are ready to be entrusted with, God gives that to them. 
Now, with that in mind, there's a really important point that I want us to notice, which is people aren't judged according to how much knowledge they've been given. People are judged according to what they've done with the knowledge that they've been given. Um, notice, the one who's given five talents and the one who's given two talents, they both are told exactly the same thing when the master returns. They receive the same honor from the master. Let's look at that again. Um, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then again, with the one who was given two talents, he manages to gain two more, and he's told exactly the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So these people have been given different number of talents. They've received different amounts of knowledge about the kingdom of heaven, right? But when God judges them, he does not reward them on the basis of how much they were given. He rewards them on the basis of whether they've been faithful with what they've been given. So do you ever think, when it comes to spreading the message about Jesus, I should probably leave that up to the people who know more than I do? You know, I've known a lot of people over the years who have thought that way. There have been times where I have thought that way. But what this parable tells us is that we shouldn't let comparison to other Christians discourage us. You know, whatever God has entrusted to us, he wants us to multiply, whether it's five talents or it's one talent. Um, and even if we think we have less to offer than other, pe other people, we do still have something to offer. And what God really cares about is whether we have been faithful to share and spread what he's given. And I love that, because what we're, what we're being told here is that God is just and fair. He doesn't judge us on the hand we've been dealt but on how we play the hand that we've been dealt. And look at the amazing reward that he gives those who have been faithful with, those who, with what they've been given. He gives the same reward. It's the ability to share in the master's happiness. I think that's a very inspiring way of putting it, the ability to share in the master's happiness. When we spread the message of the kingdom, when we multiply that message in the world, it gives God joy. He loves that. He delights in that. And it's possible for us to share in that divine delight. Any of you who are teachers know what a joy it is, I, I'm sure, uh, when a student takes what you've given them and then they show that they get it. Right? Well, in a similar way, God has joy when we show him that we get it. And just as we as, stu as students have joy when a teacher is all excited that, oh, yeah, you got it, you know, we can have that same experience in our relationship with God. His joy in our getting it can become our joy, too. And God wants us to have this experience of sharing in his joy, both now and forever. But the parable tells us that that's not always what happens because of the third servant. So let's talk about the third servant because this is the part of the parable that actually fascinates me the most. 
Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering seed where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So I have to confess, the first couple times I read this, I felt bad for the third servant. Does anyone else feel bad at all for the third servant? I mean, he did still give the money back, right? So what did he do that was so wrong? Well, as I looked at this more closely, I realized that the third servant actually has a serious attitude problem. It's not immediately apparent, but it's really, really bad. In verse 24, he says, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So what's that about, right? Well, the harvest where you have not, scattered, not sown or gather where you have not scattered seed is basically to profit when you haven't done the work. So what he means here, this is my Pastor Ryan paraphrase, is I knew that you're a cruel person because you try to make a profit where you don't even do the work. Okay? So basically the servant is accusing the master. He's saying, you're a jerk. You, know, you, shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't be able to profit off of my work. You should do your own work. So that's, that's pretty fresh. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've thought, why should I have to work to spread Jesus' message? Why should I have to work hard to bring the gospel to other people? Why should I have to do anything? God's, God's the all-powerful one, right? He should take care of it. Well, if you've ever felt that way, that is the spirit of the third servant. And what's sad about that way of thinking is that it cuts us off from sharing in the master's joy. God wants us to experience the joy of sharing in his joy as we work to spread the gospel. But if we have an attitude like the third servant, we never get to experience that. Now, the third servant tries to make himself sound sympathetic by saying, I was afraid, so I went out and hid your talent in the ground. And again, when we hear that, we have a tendency to think, oh, this poor guy, you know, the master was so mean to him. He, he, he knew the master was mean, so he did the safest thing that he could think of. He didn't want to risk losing the money or investing it and not having it pay off, so he just buried it in the ground, right? Hide it in the ground. So why does the master get so angry at him? That's not fair. But here's the thing. And I really believe this is true. I don't think this is a stretch. I think this is right here in the text. The servant wasn't actually afraid. And I think that because the master calls his bluff. He says, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. What the master is saying is, if you thought that I was such a mean guy and so concerned about profit, then why, why did you bury my money? Why didn't you at least put it in the bank where it would earn a little bit of interest? 
See, what's easy for us to miss is that putting it in the money in the bank would have been a guaranteed way to make a little bit of money off the money. Like, there wouldn't have been any risk involved in just putting it in the bank. Granted, it wouldn't have made anywhere near the amount of money that the first two servants made, but it would have at least made something. And there wouldn't have been any risk involved. None at all. So the reason the third servant buries the money in the ground isn't really because he's afraid of losing it. The reason is because he scorns the master. He doesn't want the master to make any money at all. And that's why he says, you know, I, uh, you, you, you uh, gather where you have not scattered seed. And he's, he's saying, like, I don't want you to make any money. So I'm just going to bury your talent in the ground. And then when he says, see, here's, you know, here's what belongs to you, that was kind of an idiomatic way of saying, I wash my hands of this. See, you have it back. Now leave me alone. Now, we don't know for sure why the third servant hates the master so much. But one thing that we can be sure of is that the servant's attitude toward the master is what leads him to bury the talent in the ground. He buries it because he doesn't want the master to profit, and he buries it because he doesn't want to work for him. And because of that, that talent never multiplies. So what's that mean for us? Well, what it means is that if the kingdom of heaven is going to spread through us, we have to have the right attitude toward the master. The right attitude toward God. We have to see him the way that he actually is. He's not just some slave driver who wants to make a profit. He's a good God who wants the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven to multiply through us. Not because he wants us just to do his dirty work for him, Right? But because he wants us to share in his joy. And we need to realize this because when we see God for who he is, when we see him for how beautiful and good he truly is, then spreading the knowledge of the kingdom, it's not like slave labor. It's a joy. As I was preparing this message this week, I kept thinking, you know, I don't, I don't want this just to be a message that's um, basically saying, you've got to evangelize, and if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. I can see how you could spin that, this parable that way, right? Um, that it's just basically saying that, you know, if, if you don't do that, then if you don't evangelize, if you don't get out there and spread the kingdom, then you're, you know, you're going to be thrown into the darkness. And don't get me wrong. Um, we should evangelize. Absolutely. And uh, we should spread the message of the kingdom of heaven, both through what we say and what we do. And if we just take the knowledge we've been given and we just stuff it down and we don't do anything with it and we scorn the master, then, yeah, that's going to be really bad for us. But I was hoping there was a way of understanding this parable that was deeper than just get out there and evangelize, get out there and evangelize. And there is, because of the third servant. The lesson from this parable isn't just get out there and spread the kingdom, although that's part of it. Right? But because of the third servant, the message, the other part of the message is you've got to learn to love the master. You know, the best evangelists and kingdom builders in the world are people who you meet them and you know that they really love God. 
They love him. They're people who take joy in the master's joy. And the key to loving God is realizing that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's it. The key to loving God is recognizing that he loves us first. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, we love because he first loved us. If you think you can love God before being convinced that he loves you, then you're giving yourself too much credit. You know, it's a mystery that defies total human comprehension, but the story that is supposed to guide our lives is that God became a man, the man we know as Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life, and through his terrible death on the cross, he paid the price that we could not pay for our sins. And that through faith in him, we can have victory in this life over sin and over death. So if we are ever going to multiply our talents, that's the picture of God that needs to shape our attitude. The one of Jesus dying for our sins so that we might be saved. And that idea, that truth, no matter how many times we've heard it, that needs to transform and shape our understanding of who God is. And the more it does, the less likely any of us will be to bury those talents in the sand. Or the ground. So... Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see you as you truly are. I pray for any of us who might be wrestling with the feeling that you are a harsh master or a master who's just concerned with profit um, and not concerned at all with us. I pray that you would help us to see in this parable, Lord, that you're fair and that you want us to share in your joy, that you want to um, give us uh, more and more authority and power to rule so long as we steward uh, what you've given to us well. Lord, I pray that um, for any of us who are wrestling with seeing you as uh, harsh or profit-driven, that we would be able to see you as you truly are, Lord. as the, as the God who's, who suffers and dies for our sins, who says, uh, this is my body given for you. I pray that that would transform us, Lord. And I pray that through us, Lord, you would build your kingdom, uh, that we would multiply the talents that you have given us, and that um, all the world, Lord, would come to uh, a closer uh, realization of who you are, Lord, um, through your church. In Jesus' name, amen.